Hi, welcome to Outrageous, our bi-weekly... Hmm, it's not bi-weekly anymore. See, oh. we've already run into problems. Okay, here we go. Hi, welcome to Outrageous, a podcast where we talk about race, media, culture, politics, and everything in between. My name is Chris. I'm in New York City, and I'm joined by my very best friends, Trisha in L.A. Hello. And Jason in D.C. Season premiere, baby. I'm, I'm excited. I'm ready. Let's do it. Let's do it. Hello, listeners. Hi, everybody. What a summer. We're going to quickly do a what did you do on your summer vacation? Just round table. Trish is giving me a look. I don't know. <laughs> what, did, what did you do on your summer vacation? Uh, I want to go last because I had the best summer. Trisha? <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like my summer never got started. Is that weird? Oh, no. We shouldn't have started with you. That's depressing. Jason? <laughs> I, I reflected on the fact that it was... It is no longer possible to deny climate change okay. and global warming. L- let me talk about my summer because <laughs> I just fresh off a hiatus and you two are like desperately need antidepressants. <laughs> so my summer. Wow. So as you may or may not know, I'm a huge fan of the Spice Girls. So. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> Trisha had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> so I followed them around on tour through Scotland and the UK uh, in early June. And Let's it was- be clear, listeners, physically. he We're not talking about followed on Twitter. He followed them around physically, old school. <sighs> you know what I have to say, though? Uh, and I could say a lot about the Spice Girls that I, I'm not going to right now right here. But the one thing that. I thought was interesting is that I was so excited about it. Like, say what you want, but like, this was a really important thing to me. Like, I certainly had spent a ton of money to do it and all my time and et cetera, et cetera. The amount of people, when I tell them how much joy I was getting of it, the people who would then turn around and say like really nasty things about my experience, it it didn't, it never hurt my feelings. But I, I was just like, wow, what is your problem with joy? Like, honestly, like, why are you yucking my yum? Like, People have a lot of problem with joy. They really do. Remember when I was just traipsing around the world? Oh, boy. You were a free black woman roaming around the world, enjoying your life, and people could not handle it. And the thing about the Spice Girls, like, I would, like, friends would text. They'd be like, they'd be like, where are you? And I was like, oh, I'm in England. I'm I'm having a great time. And Spice Girls, and this is really important to me. And I'm having so much fun. And they'd be like, the Spice Girls, they suck. And I'm like, I'm like, you know what? Sure, sure. They're millionaires, and they don't care if you're if you think they suck or not. But how interesting that I'm telling you that this thing brings me joy, and your first thing to come back is like, brah. Like I don't know. It just made me tilt my head the whole time, and I was like, we need to explore the parts of ourselves that don't want other people to enjoy themselves. Like, what is that? I totally agree. About? And you know what I would say? People who respond that way when they find out their friends are vegetarians same <laughs> process needs to happen the fact that i enjoy being a vegetarian and certain friends i won't name such as one on this podcast i thought we weren't naming them <laughs> i didn't say anyone's name you know what and you on that me- note bye <laughs> <laughs> you know what I've all, i you know this is so sad but the reality was, I didn't know people actually had joy from being a vegetarian. Yeah, do you get joy was, from it? That was my question. It always seemed like such a chore well, in my own mind, not to I'm, you. If but... I'm being, if I'm being honest, 
I get the feeling of moral superiority, which uh, sure. brings me joy. For sure. I mean, you're all going to die when Are the planet explodes. Are you serious right now? We're Are all going to die together, and you're just going to be really sad that you wasted your yeah, time you'll on just, You'll have burgers. less of, yeah, you'll have <laughs> inferior sources of protein. That's all. Uh, I will feel that <laughs> it's your fault. I will go down with that, you know, moral ind- indignation. Because if all of us were vegetarians, the planet would not be warming nearly as quickly. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> I'm happy for you about Spice Girls. And I, I, I'd like to think I was never one of the people who yucked your yum. I don't think you were. I, yeah. I, it was surprising the corners that it came from. Because I've never, I, I never defend the Spice Girls. I'm always like, if you think they're... Slags fine. If you think they are not talented, fine. Like that's fine. It's not for you. Um, I just thought it's weird that I'm telling you about my experience, and you're like, "God, this is stupid. You're stupid." And I'm like, "I thought we were friends. What a strange thing to say." But enough about that, Jason. What really did you do this summer instead of just think about climate change and how superior you are? I had a couple of good trips. One to Alaska. One to Arizona. I had a good time. You were in Arizona. Well. It was technically a work conference, but my girlfriend came with me and we got to do, we had some good fun while we were there. It was, it was great. I drank every night, which, you know, I almost never, ever, never ever do. drink. I got to hear my girlfriend say, I like Margarita Jason. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> how does one take that? Oh, I like, I like it when you're drunk, honey. Like, how does, is that a compliment or just a comment? compliment because you don't want to hear i don't like drunk jason that's i guess that's, that's true, true. It's like, <laughs> i think you shouldn't again. have another one yeah that, <laughs> you know that conversation yeah that's that, that's a different the therapist is involved <laughs> you, you need, yeah you need help honey yeah. <laughs> well, oh yeah i had a trip too i went to um i went to wimbledon i was gonna say how was wimbledon yeah. It was really good, actually. I had a really, I had a great time. I watched, I got to the final, got to see the final. It was brutal and sad. <sighs> Took me a while to get over it, maybe like a week or two. Um, but it was overall a lot of fun. I saw another, another showing of Hamilton with my family. Nice. It was so good. I really love the English version. You know, and, and met up with folks who I usually meet up with in the winter. But we ended up hanging out in the summer. We watched some tennis on a mall and then just chit-chatted all day. It was really great. I've fallen in love with London a little bit. I was never a fan. Okay. And here I am. Now, now I'm a fan. And just before the whole thing blows up with the hard Brexit <laughs> in October, I'll be, it's the last time I'll be able to visit it because it will just be completely detonated. It, it might be much cheaper to visit, which is the thing I like least about London is how freaking expensive it That's is. That's true. I mean cheap in the sense that like people are running through the streets Oliver Twist style, like <laughs> trying to <laughs> scrabbling over there? rubble. You think it's going to go there? Stop <laughs> it. <laughs> not, not under Boris Johnson's leadership. What are you talking about? He's going to lead it to greatness. You know what this? I feel like I have to say, with everything that's happening, I feel like a new world is about to be born. I really do. I Let's do. I think there. I think we finally come around to this post-colonial edge that we've been riding for a while. We've come full circle. The well, I'm not sure way I would. That. I don't get that. I don't know what you're talking about. You really? You don't really get that? You Col- mean full circle? Like you think the imperial powers are all going to collapse? I think they're collapsing in on themselves. I think they're. <laughs> I think they're changing. I think the bill is coming due. That's yeah. what's happening. 
the bill is coming due. Like, okay, when, I could see that. When all of those people were like, let's have Take slaves and let's burn through an entire continent, whatever. Yeah. Let's let future Americans deal with that. Well, here we are. Here we are. <laughs> this is us. We're the future Americans and chicken, we're dealing with it. Chicken, coop, the whole thing. I mean, the I just whole think. Thing. So when I say the world is being reborn, and it's a world that maybe some people who think that they're happy to see it come, but most of us have never imagined what it could look like. You know, so I think Ingle, it'll be interesting. I don't know. I don't I know where we land. Gonna have, I think the stability that we as Westerners have enjoyed for the past, oh, I don't know, since World War II. Yeah. The, the kind of economic stability that we have enjoyed for the past 60, 70 years, that is coming to an end. Yep. And I think that's going to be, there's not, there hasn't been a generation that's lived through actual ups and downs. The World War I generation, the people who came out of the Depression, like those people, the Dust Bowl, those people, yeah. they're dead. And so everyone alive today has been having pretty much a good time in America. So I, I, I do agree with Trisha. I think that's coming to an end. No, that's uh, true. Not that America's coming to an end. I think it's going to shift. Yeah, but, shifting. But Everything no is one, shifting. No one alive is, is ready to deal with that change. And it's going to be interesting. That's a cheerful thought. But yeah. that was how the summer was. <laughs> yeah. You know what? My summer was definitely not as depressing as this conversation. <laughs> <sighs> Let me tell you something about Scotland. Dark and gray? Yeah. And cold in the summer. But also, when you're that far north, the sun doesn't set till 10 p.m. Mm. But then it gets up at 5 a.m. So that and like birds chirping like the whole nine. It's uh it's intriguing. I could you imagine living up there? It's I don't know well, how you I'll tell you Alaska even more. Like there's mm. it it was sunny almost all the time. See, that's what I need. But then in the winter, the sun sets at like two PM and then you're just like, Well, time to die because yeah. <laughs> Or you just sure. play games the whole night. That's what games, honey, you drink. That's what go <laughs> that's what's going on up there. You crazy. <laughs> Huddle down and just goes. I don't know. I, I I couldn't do it for long though. I'm suspicious of that old idea. I mean, you're already prone to drink. Anyway, um, <laughs> sure, <laughs> sure. <laughs> oh, uh, as much fun as this part is, let's dump in, jump into some topics. Recently, Jay Z has uh, entered talks with the NFL to. Well, his his organization, Rock Nation, will be providing some entertainment consulting to the NFL. Exactly what that means, it's not clear. There's a lot of things that are coming out saying like he's going to end up with uh, an ownership stake in a team or some teams. Um, but the real conflict comes here is because previously, Jay-Z has been a real supporter of Colin Kaepernick and his struggles uh, in and against the NFL. And a lot of people are seeing this as sort of a betrayal. And if you do even a smooth Google on this, you'll see there's people on both sides, like supporting Colin Kaepernick and supporting Jay-Z as if those two men are in battle, which is interesting. I want to talk about that. But I guess it leaves me with this question is that not what is Jay-Z doing, because there's not enough details that have come out that we could actually discern that. But the line that we're being given is that, oh, he's going to be an entertainment consultant and also he's going to advise us on social justice initiatives. So it feels like a win, right? Like, oh, we need to make the NFL more sensitive. And it feels like Jay-Z is going to be part of the spearhead of that. But it leaves me with questions like, is that is such a thing possible for the NFL? And wh what does this tell us about not Jay-Z the person, but Jay-Z as sort of like an icon of black capitalism what are your ideas 
you know, it's not going to be news to our listeners that I think the net impact of the NFL on our society is so overwhelmingly negative. I am skeptical about any major reform. The kind of fundamental issue that led to Colin Kaepernick not getting a job in the NFL, the fact that the NFL mandated and continues to mandate how professional athletes act during the national anthem, that doesn't seem to be changing. Um, Like, I'm sure the NFL can be more sensitive, as you said, and I think Jay-Z may be helpful in doing that. But I still think there are so many problematics with with the NFL, and I don't see that changing. But I will say, I mean, the point you made at the end, like, Jay-Z really has, I mean, his trajectory in music and in business has really been phenomenal. And there probably are not many um, people, African-American or otherwise, that could be as helpful to the NFL as he is likely to be helpful right now. Over to you, Trisha. Listen, the other solution, as Jason would probably love, is just to burn it all down. Hello, I'm in. (laughs) I'm waiting for it. Let me get my lighter. So if we're not going to burn it all down, right, what we have to find a way to do is to live with it. And I think... Or boycott it. I mean, we're not doing that. So people are trying to figure out a way to live with it. Well, boycotting the NFL when you never originally watched it is problematic, right? You need people actually who used to and then Jason, stop. I'll get her point. I'll out, stop interrupting you. Jason. No, no, it's not a you know, it's not a problem. But I often I often think about that because obviously I'm boycotting the NFL, but I'm like, I wasn't watching it, so <laughs> it doesn't matter, right? So I often ask myself, like, what does this mean for people who do watch the NFL? And I think in some ways, it really gives people an opportunity to re-enter a space that they probably are kind of annoyed that they had to give up. So I think Jay-Z's move gives people cover to have the entertainment back in their life, which ultimately to me is why this deal has merit for people because i don't know how many folks i've seen that said let's wait until all the details comes out now let me tell you something whenever black people start saying things like that that's strange because that's like when some it's like when a black person gets shot and people are like let's wait until all the details comes out and people are like what we don't need to wait for details (laughs) to come out we know what's going on right. right but so when you say that what you're trying to do is you're trying to give yourself space to accept the unacceptable yeah. Give yourself time and to invite something in that you know you don't shouldn't be there, but you've missed it. And I, I legitimately sit around and I say to myself, this is Jay-Z has given the NFL cover to for people to perceive that something has shifted and has changed. It's like integrating a golf course. The presence of one suggests something has shifted in the organization. And so now you can begin to maybe expect five years down the line there'll be two you know what i mean that's like the journey that's and in some weird ways i was i'm wondering about it because i'm like that has traditionally been the american journey it's like one person integrates it and we expect a shift my question is do you think people believe that anymore see i don't does that even work anymore did it ever but i'm just like you know does it, but does it work now in this context like jay-z is an unimaginably rich person and i again i don't want to get into his psychology or his yeah. motives like i don't know yeah. what it means to be a billionaire mogul right so i don't know i don't really know why he's at that table it, giving him just all the motives that that were stated that he wants to work with them to these social justice initiatives and whatnot whatnot 
is that going to work? Like, does that fix the fundamental problems with the NFL? Like some like 80% or more of the players are African-American, right? And there's there's all the health issues that the NFL covers up. There's, to say nothing of the last three years what, with the president and the kneeling and the rest of it, like they don't handle these things very well. And Jay-Z walking in like legitimizes that behavior. And it's like you said about accepting the unacceptable, like black people know that, or we should know that. And, and I, and I want to shift the conversation to what I alluded to before. People are making, making this like a Colin Kaepernick versus Jay-Z moment. How did that happen? Like I thought it was clever though, right? I mean, the original intent of Colin Kaepernick was to draw attention to an issue that wasn't actually inside the NFL, right? It's not. It was just like, I have a public platform. You see me on Sundays. I'm taking a knee to to talk about something that is happening in the culture. But I'm interrupting your weekend and having giving you a moment of conscience. When they then push back on Kaepernick, it then became a rejection of football. It's like, you're rejecting football. You're rejecting Americans. You're rejecting veterans. As a matter of fact, you're rejecting just American nets. We always drag <laughs> veterans in. You know what I mean? We always, we only care about veterans. I know. We're fine when with them we being care? homeless and unemployed, but don't disrespect them. Don't I mean, you, don't you kneel because that's disrespectful. But I think the conversation has always shifted. That's been the challenge of this moment is that it never stayed on the very thing that Kaepernick was protesting. It moved to the flag and now it's actually now circled back all the way around to be about these two black men supposedly in in opposition with each other. I choose to ignore that aspect of it because, I mean, I don't know the hearts and minds of either of them. For me, though, I think what I'm what I'm struggling with is whether this is just a little bit of your and Chris, you'll find some resonance with this, whether this isn't just putting up a rainbow flag moment. There's the appearance of someone at the table. But the question is, what's this person's capacity to transform this what environment? What is he really doing? He's going to... He's providing entertainment. Some, he's That's rolling out a couple of songs. Yeah. He's going to work with Rihanna and the rest of them, DJ Khaled, to like release some NFL-related songs. And everyone will continue to shuffle and jive. And I... Well, he's going to bring back the halftime show, all the people who were boycotting it. He's bringing them back in. Like, that's, I, I'm not saying I hold this point of view, but what I'll say, reading up on it, like, they're, the way to look at it in a, let's say, a, a kind of positive light, right? So, you know, people have made the point, people who are kind of defending it have made the point, like, look, Kaepernick settled. He had this conflict with the league. He settled, undisclosed amount. There's some criticism about speculation about what it is, but so he settled. That concession has been, has been gotten, you know, now Jay-Z is going to potentially get some more concessions in exchange for like normalizing relations again between, you know, black artists and the NFL and hopefully by extension, black fans. And again, were, were, were those the problems? Because the thing is, if it was settled, then shouldn't Kaepernick be working? Like you, you, well, sued, it was you settled, sued settled for an amount. No, I know yeah. it doesn't matter, but you sue an employer, and usually when the judgment comes, you you get to continue to be employed, right? I've seen people say that as if ultimately this was about money, right? And they're like, everybody should be getting paid. That's not what this is about. Your employer screwed you over. They settled, which is an admission of guilt on the employer side. And so sure. therefore, you should then be able to go out and then 
ply your wares. The but problem is, is that this is a monopoly. Not to be able to do that, right? It's a monopoly. <laughs> Where is he supposed to go? Exactly. <laughs> it's not so, any. So that for me, the question isn't settled. And so that continues. I mean, people think that having settled, I mean, yes, you're settling for the action that happened, but afterwards there should be, there should have been a shift. There should well, be teams offering you a job that, that would suggest to me that a transformation has happened. I, I actually, happen. I would go a step further. Like I think ultimately big picture, it's not about whether he gets a job. I mean, I absolutely think he should have a job there if he wants one. But to me, it's like, as I, alluded to before the league should not be mandating how players behave you know when the game's not on (laughs) i mean but you know what the interesting thing is they do mandate how players behave around things that actually have nothing to do with the sport itself i don't know if i can envision a cultural shift in the organization and for me it just seems like jay-z isn't necessarily representing a cultural shift it's just an invitation for other black people to actually participate in an existing culture. I don't see it changing. I don't see some new NFL emerging. You know, yes, now you might have like Rihanna back on stage when you didn't have her before. I I can't envision anything fully shifting. It's like bringing in diversity officers in an organization. (laughs) This whole thing is, I find extremely disappointing. Why? First of all, you know, I like to burn things down. You know, I, I love to just trash institutions and start again. Institutions that are this rotten, like the NFL, like in the inclusion of Jay-Z, I find to be very confusing and disappointing in that, yes, I understand that he, he, if he didn't spearhead, he encouraged a lot of people to boycott the NFL and now they have. And so it was very important for the NFL to get him on board because they their profits have been dipping for the past five years. Last year was the least watched Super Bowl ever, which was still 100 million people. Yeah. But believe it or not, that was the least <clears throat> or at least the, le- the least in a decade. So they're like, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit. Like, we've got to find a way to make this palatable again. Let's get Jay-Z to the table. He's he's a, a power broker. He'll be able to, if we are seen shaking hands with him, then it'll open the floodgates for all these people to come back in. And that seems to be okay with everyone. But why does that throw out the question, like, should these artists, should these black people be there in the first place? Like, how did that question get thrown out? Like the baby with the bathwater. The reason why people were protesting the NFL, those things haven't changed. It's yeah. just now that people are getting paid and everyone's going to yep. get a piece of the pie. Listen, not for nothing, but like these white people, the NFL, they know these people are black and they they do not care about them on that level. Like, I mean, they don't care about the players or the things that the players care about on a certain level. Like, I, I just feel like all these black artists should, I, I want to hold them to a higher standard, but at the end of the day, like, this is Can capitalism. You know? I mean, that's the thing. Like, I, I started saying it, then I was like, listen, they're trying to make a buck, and apparently when you have a few million, it's important to have more millions. Like, <laughs> I don't get that part. But- well, I mean, maybe it's also gotten really confusing. Like, maybe people don't understand why they're protesting the NFL. You know, maybe that's also part of this issue, is that it's gotten muddy and unclear. Is it? I think Jason said it. Jason said Kaepernick settled. Maybe people really thought that that was the full extent of the protest is that we're unhappy that you try to control Kaepernick's behavior. However, he settled. So realistically, we should begin to have a conversation again and move forward. Right. That's how people are characterizing it. 
But for me, I as long as he remains unemployed, it seems like an unsettled issue to me. I mean, I'm listening to the two of you, and I agree basically with what you're saying. And I feel like the only thing I'm left with is like I want no involvement with the NFL. I don't, I don't know what else to do. Like Jay Z's obviously going to do what he wants, and I can have my opinion about it. Um, people, obviously, I mean, as a country, we value football so much. Not just NFL, high school football, college football. In every case, it brutalizes bodies, disproportionately bodies of color, bodies from low-income households. We spend so much time and, and money on this game. I'm j- I just this this conversation just makes me that much more enthusiastic about not participating. Let me ask you about this though. I think because this is it's tied up in it. Did we like lose the strain of protest, like what you protest and how you get a win out of a protest? Did people not understand that, you think? And this is why we've we think Jay-Z's entry is a win. Like let's think of, let's think back a little bit historically. How do we define what the gains are supposed to be when we protest or when we when we boycott things? Well, I mean, that's a great question. I think that, you know, we do that when we're organized. Yeah. And as far as I know, and I could be ignorant about this, but I don't know that there ever was, you know, a significant organization behind this, right? Kaepernick started kneeling. Some other players started kneeling. People kind of chose sides. There was obviously a lot of bickering. I'm thinking about your question, right? I'm like, well, in the recent past, has there been protests that really seem to have aims? I mean, Black Lives Matter did come up with like a series of demands slash recommendations that it continues to pursue with local police departments etc so i think it's possible but yeah i guess in this case i'm just thinking about i think your question's great i don't think that ever really happened i remember reading someone on um someone on twitter talked about why they were upset with jay-z and what the and and what they thought should have happened because the point of it was to get some sort of gains out of this right and so i think her larger point was what should have happened was that jay-z should have sat down with kaepernick and figured out how to get everyone to the table so that someone was going to give and get. So it's like, you want me to give you cover. What concessions are you willing to make? One being Kaepernick should have a job, two, some, you know, whatever they, those things. Are. So you felt like there was actually a give and take in this interaction. So well, right now you feel like what's happened is that the league has somehow gotten something without any sort of concession in any way. I'm guessing the challenge to that, and you know, there's been some criticism of Kaepernick that he's been silent, he's not been transparent about yep. the settlement. But I would, I would almost, I, I'd bet a lot of money on the on that settlement saying a he's not going to work there, and b he can't say anything. It's probably not legally possible for him without breaching his contract to be a part of that conversation with Jay-Z. That's my guess. There's a part of me that's like, I don't know if I'm entirely disappointed. I think what I, when I started focusing and thinking about it clearly, I was trying to figure out what ends would make me happy or comfortable. And I didn't well, know. And part of the challenge is what you said early in this conversation, Trisha, which is that Kaepernick was protesting something that was not inside the league, right? Yep. So then it becomes like, to what extent is the protest slash boycott you know, about the the issue he's trying to highlight, police brutality and killing of unarmed black people versus the way that he is being treated by the NFL. I'm just thinking like that, I'm guessing, got muddled for a lot of people. Like, I'm having to remind myself of those yep. nuances. 
<laughs> yeah. And I, yeah, and I mean, I guess ultimately the thing is we want to be able, if, it, if we're not on the clock as employees, we should have the capacity to do what we want, right? That's the larger Within issue limits. here. Yeah, Within sure. limits, but, right? But what, yeah, what pisses me off the most about that is like, where is it written that you can't kneel during the anthem? Like, this is such, I mean, I don't mean to uh, minimize it because I think, you know, I support what he did. Like, this is a norm that he chose to do something different. You know, it, like, I don't, I, I, the, the, the origin of this angers me so much. The fact that the, he endured that or was, was uh, he had to get that reaction from the NFL and from the president, etc., for doing something that, like, it's never been... It's just, I don't know. It's, it's so ridiculous that we have a problem with someone kneeling during the anthem. I know. It's so it's laughable in a certain level because you it, almost want... It you is. wanted his employers to say, well, it's a legitimate fact what he's demonstrating and talking about. It doesn't impact his ability to play football. It's five minutes before the game begins. He's not kneeling in the middle of a game. Do you know yeah, what I mean? So he's, it's not even, he's not disrupting <laughs> the anthem. He's silently kneeling. I mean, but, I, you know... I'm not in this position, but if I was, if I was Goodell, like if I'm running the NFL, I would think I'd want to almost like make not, him a hero. Just be like, hey, or what? not even attend to it. Yeah, like you know what it, the thing is though. Can we just acknowledge the elephant in the room? Like, let's not forget that Tim Tebow kneels all the time. What's the difference you, between you these two men? Do you think you can kneel? It just depends on why you're kneeling. It but that's does. the point, right? Yeah. Just who's so doing absurd. It. Which is who's so doing absurd. Like, let's not pretend like Colin Kaepernick isn't a big black guy. Let's not pretend. But even that. if he was a big black guy kneeling to show his faith, I think it would be fine. It would be resonant. But what he's kneeling for is in some sense an underpinning of the very sort of challenge within the NFL itself, right? Which is black bodies being disposable on court, on the field, sorry, and <laughs> off the field, really. Right. Yes. Um, so, in a, you know, so in a weird way, there's a connection there that makes everyone uncomfortable. And so they're just not willing to make <laughs> that move. And so Jay-Z's like, well, what if I give you black bodies dancing? Yeah. Dancing and singing. <laughs> shucking. Barely and clothed, jiving. Dancing. No, 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 you know. Gyrating. But you know what? You can't say that because this is the thing. People are going to get paid. And this is what, you know, this is where that thing breaks down for folks. They're like, listen, we all need to get paid. We all need to okay, get paid. Okay. All right. And in the last two minutes of this conversation, right? We all need to get paid. Like, is is that the is That's that the it. bottom line here? Isn't that the bottom line of of many of these moments? I just it feels what's the, what's the compromise vomit inducing. Like, I mean <laughs> there are actual principles at stake here. Like, and again. I'm going to keep saying this. I don't know Jay-Z. I don't know why he was there. Oh, yeah. But I just feel like, and maybe this is like an entree to like sweeping change. I and mean, he's got some plan. I don't know. But I mean, if it just comes down to, oh, well, we mounted, artists mounted a successful boycott and now it's lifted. And now we'll get even more, we'll all be more richer and more powerful than before. Like why, where does that leave everybody else? Like, hmm. I don't, well, you know, I, I don't yeah, know what yeah. I want. You know what? I don't know what I want from the situation. I yeah. just realized that. I'm not sure what I want. I wanted Jay-Z to go in there and be like, fuck all y'all. Uh, <laughs> you're not getting a, a – don't you dare play any music by me or any of my compatriots during any of your games. We're going to dance on your graves. That's what I wanted. 
but we're not going to we're not going to do that, right? Because like you said, honey, you've got to get paid. So I guess. Well, it's not that. I mean, I, I don't mean it. I didn't, I didn't mean to be um, dismissive in that way. I just think that we don't have a, a concrete vision of what a win looks like in these moments. And I think that's what this demonstrates, right? Is that with, with if you leave a vacuum, which is in some sense, the Colin Kaepernick's silence is a bit of a vacuum, right? Yeah. Um, how, did, how, how do we resolve this? How, how is it resolved? Um, I think he continues to work as he always has with his Know Your Rights group and the thing, and he continues to donate and he continues to do all those things outside of that space. But I don't think we've ever had a vision of what coming to terms with the NFL and Kaepernick was supposed to look like. We definitely know that we're not happy with what Jay-Z is offering. So whatever that is, yeah. whatever it is, and we don't know what that is. Right. But and it we're not happy that right. Kaepernick isn't playing isn't playing because i think at the end of the day if we just keep it as a labor issue it's an it's it's an unsuccessful resolution for labor and i feel like every worker should be shaking in their boots right player you mean no every laborer every every worker every worker he's a worker and Mm. this is what the owner said you cannot do i'm gonna make a a quick shift away from this topic um Before we get to the second topic, there's something that I wanted you both to react to. Last week or the week before, evil financier David Koch died. Uh, David Koch and his brother uh, donated a lot of money to conservative uh, schools of thought. They've they've funded entirely new literal economic schools to teach economic theories that would be beneficial to the way that they do business. It's an astounding display of money and power. And he died recently, to which, um, you know, a lot of people in the media, comedians and pundits are expressing how glad they are that he's dead. I think Bill Maher had said um, something like what Bill Maher would usually say. Then there's a pushback. It's like, you know, how we can't talk about him in this way. It's ghoulish that we talk about him. uh, Even though he did all these things, it's ghoulish that we would celebrate his death. I'm just wondering, what's your position on that, Jason? I personally think it's in everyone's interest to give an honest assessment of a person when they've passed away. And I think we err on the other extreme sometimes that all of a sudden someone was an angel and we forget everything that they did, even if they were guilty of some wrongdoing, we we should be able to just have a frank conversation about here's some good things. This person did this person hurt a lot of people in these ways. So uh, that's my position. Tricia. I think it's weird that people are focused on the ghoulish piece because Everyone does something like that at some point in time. I mean, they're not doing it in obituaries. They're not doing it in sort of like um, papers of record. I think for me, my biggest problem is don't sanitize the impact this person has had. But at the same time, what's interesting and revealing is how much legacies are complicated for others. I look at Koch brothers and I'm like, I feel like their legacy on communities of color has been detrimental but that seems to be in conflict for others (laughs) and so i'm always a little bit surprised sometimes when sort of the machinery gets revealed and you realize how comfortable people are with the idea that i if i raise enough money i can convince you of an ideology that will cause tremendous pain to other people and in some sense that's a legitimate that's a legitimate approach to your life 
You know, because that's been what I've noticed as I see people try to sort of defend him. People say, well, you know, um, he gave he gave scholarships to students and he created whole entire arms. And sure. Everybody's nice. Uh, yeah. Right. But it's it was it's, just, it's weird to me that I don't know. I just I think this whole notion that there are sides to justice and truth is weird to me. <laughs> like I, <don't> I, <laughs> I find it interesting. I agree. And I, you know, what's it, the Godwin principle? I'm about to bring up Hitler. When Hitler died, was there some sort of conversation about we can't celebrate his death? What about Osama bin Laden? When he died, I remember there was there was jubilation in the streets. Yeah. Oh, there was. I do remember there was some chatter about that. Some people, no one felt like we shouldn't say bad things about him, but there were people that really were uncomfortable expressed discomfort in in articles and and editorials about the jubilation people were expressing i think so too and listen to be fair i'm not necessarily listen i'm not one out there tweeting writing thank god he's dead i don't i mean i don't care enough about him as a person to go down that road that that's like i i have feelings about the death of someone when i have a personal connection to them i have feelings about the death of the influence thank god that this that it's this influence has ended that's yeah, that's yeah, been my thing all yeah. week is like hopefully yeah, hopefully some of the the dark designs beyond where this money went like maybe we'll go askew like apple did after steve jobs died you know what i mean yeah, like I don't. I don't think things. influence has ended. He, I mean, one thing you can Maybe say not. about the Cokes, they definitely invested for the long the term. Long, they God, the they started organizations, institutions. It's in, to. I mean, we don't have time to get into it here, but like the amount of work that they did, it's like truly diabolical. Well, like if you have an infinite amount of money and an infinite amount of power, like you could just really stick your hands all the way down. It, to the elbow in culture and just change it like just change the way that we think about things like money like it's insane it's so I mean, wild and i think that's what's interesting for me about his death is is looking at people trying to grapple with influence and not and being somehow confused about truth facts what you realize is that facts can be negotiated if you have the right institutions so yeah. if you if you want to say that up is down, get yourself a college that does that, mm-hmm. right? And then it, and and then and it becomes a space for you to be a part of a conversation. Mm-hmm. Oh, maybe that's related to what Jay Z is doing. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Trish is trying to square that circle. Okay, uh, let's move on to the next topic. Fringe nut job Marion Williamson <laughs> has launched a presidential <laughs> campaign. Uh, she is known for being a new thought leader, and uh, she's written a lot of books and a lot of essays, and some of her spiritual teachings have been important to a lot of people. In this new incarnation, she generally takes the debate stages and says whatever she wants um, about crystals, about light, about energy. Uh, it's truly entertaining. However, as people like flock to make her a new camp figure, there's a lot of people who have been very harmed by some of the things that she has said in the past, specifically uh, LGBTQ people who um, remember some of the things that she said around the AIDS crisis and her ideas about sickness and health. So I guess my question to you, um, to you two, is 
while people want to laud her for her ideas about reparations and the fact that she's even bringing that to debate stage, like what do we do with a problematic figure like Marion Williamson? Specifically, uh, just so we have some context, Marion Williamson said that uh, she believed cancer and AIDS were manifestations of a sick mind and not necessarily a sick body. To quote from her book, A Return to Love, she says, cancer and AIDS and other serious illnesses are physical manifestations of a psychic scream, and their message is not hate me, but love me. Sickness is an illusion and does not actually exist. Instead, it's a sign of our judgment on ourselves, not a sign on God's judgment on us. Now, a lot of people at the time took this to mean that they were suffering from AIDS and cancer because they simply didn't love themselves enough or they simply couldn't will the disease away. And a lot of people, um, family members reported that there was a lot of people who, who died feeling alone and bereft and like failures. That is something that the queer community like lays at her feet and considers her to be very dangerous. I'm just curious what you all think about Mary Williamson and this this rise that she's had. And I'm I'm gonna put it out. Did Trump make this possible? Is can we allow any clown on stage? And is Williamson even a clown at all? You know, I will say that I have read many of Marion Williamson's writings way prior to all of this. And I have found many of the things she's written inspiring and interesting and instructive. That said, I fully acknowledge how harmful some of the things she has said have been. And you're talking about some of them, Chris. I also have read writings by members of the disabilities community that also, for similar reasons, find things that she's said and written really, really harmful. And so that's real. And like, that's a real problem in terms of her running for president. You know, she, I think she ran for Congress prior to this. She ran for something else before. I was really surprised by that. You know, there are lots of people whose spiritual writings I read and, again, find inspiring and instructive, but I don't consider to be good candidates for public office. I think that I would certainly say that is the case for her. And then your last question, I don't, I hadn't really thought about that before. It could be that Trump has made all this possible. I don't know if she's someone that would have been, that would have made it on the stage previously. Trump probably has something to do with it. I think You know, another thing that we see, and this relates to much more than Williamson, is like the Democratic Party, after being, after failing so miserably when they put all their weight behind Hillary Clinton, seems loath to weed out anyone in any significant way. And I think that's also a factor that allows her to be on the stage. Those are my initial thoughts. I don't know if I necessarily blame Trump. I think what I blame is celebrity, really. I mean, she has a celebrity. She is a celebrity. And she has enough cachet to do the things that are required to get her on that stage. And I don't know if we would have changed some of the parameters to allow her not to be on the stage. I don't know if that's possible. I think we've always had sort of quacks um, on the periphery of the pol- of political parties. You know, um, Roxanne Barr ran, you know, different people have run. But I think the challenge here is that she has enough celebrity weight to be able to get in the polls raise the right amount of money which for a long time that would have been a barrier but she actually is able to get into that space and my biggest problem with her is that I don't think we have the ability to pick and choose which which of her ideas gets to stay I think we end up being stuck with the whole package with her which then to me seems like we're tacitly approving of some very egregious things. 
that's my problem with Marion Williamson being in this space is that we've now legitimatized her. And so for me, the weird thing and uncomfortable thing in this moment is that now a presidential candidacy is actually another sort of platform tool to sell your wares, which is really what I think this is for her. I, I, I mean, honestly, I don't know what it is for her. I'm, I'll give her full faith that she's being really earnest and she thinks that she could actually lead the country. I mean, it's neither here nor there. She's going to sell books regardless whether that was her intent or not. I, I have to say that I am concerned that we keep allowing clowns to take up so much airtime in these conversations about politics. Now, like you said, Trisha, we've always had clowns in politics. You know, it's just that I and maybe, I don't know, am I getting old? But I feel like the quality of the clowndom has changed. Ross Perot was seen as a clown back in 92. You know, but when you actually look back at some of the things Ross Perot said, they weren't out of this world. They weren't, they just weren't mainstream Republican or Democratic thinking at the time. You yep. know, there were some of those things that have been echoed by candidates since then and yep. put into play, you know? Yep. So, it wasn't so out of like left field, like crystal healing sort of stuff, or like you can, you know, wish AIDS away. It wasn't that kind of clowndom. Like nothing Ross Pro said would have been very damaging for people. Uh, in fact, quite the opposite. Some of his policies, like I said, have been enacted in, 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 in other ways. Trump, Williamson, whoever's next, Flavor Flav, I, who's going to run for president next? Like I, there is there a control? Mm, actually, I'm not going down this road. Yeah, you don't want that road. <laughs> I, I don't want to go down that road. But I, I just, Marion Williamson has um, had a negative impact on a community. And now her, her refound fame or her enhanced fame um, has hurt that community again. And her apologies, I find them to be wanting. Uh, she denies a lot of responsibility about, you know, the the classic line of like, well, if that's what people interpreted, that's on them. That's not what I said. Sure. Uh, I, I guess just hundreds, thousands of people had the wrong impression of what you were saying. It's That's possible. But I, I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying. I'm well, what you confused want, and concerned by this. And I, I, I do want some sort of control. I want some sort of not dignity control. back to these proceedings. Maybe, maybe accountability. Accountability, yes. Thank That's, you. You know, maybe I you're looking for accountability. Because, I mean, in some ways, this is what happens, is people now get to go up on a platform or a stage and say whatever they want, but they don't get to be checked, particularly in, like, a debate format. No one's stopping her and said, by the way, many of your ideas have led to the deaths of thousands of people. No one says that. You're sort of allowed to kind of just throw an idea out there and it doesn't get contested. And so that's what I think is the biggest problem for me is that your ideas don't get challenged and there's no pushback from the journalist. There's no pushback from anyone. And so it gets to sort of live as if it has merit. You know, now that you put it that way, Trisha, and I think you're 100% right, I think we probably can blame Trump for some of that. Because <laughs> there's such fact-checking fatigue, yeah. right? He both, when he was campaigning, as well as since he's become president... I mean, we know, right? Like, he just says things that aren't true, sometimes malicious, sometimes just bizarre, like, constantly. And I think people, like, barely care anymore. Like, his supporters, you can't tell them that anything he said isn't true. And 
his detractors just assume everything's a lie anyway, and no one bothers with the damn fact checking. Like we know he's going to lie about how many people are at that rally. Like that's what he does. So mm-hmm. I, yeah, and I think so we there's probably no, can't blame him for that. And there's no consequence, right? And I, I mean, to right. my mind, you have to reintroduce consequence consequences into these proceedings and accountability. I think if if she had to be, well. We can't talk about Trump about accountability. Nothing sticks to him. But like, if she should be held accountable for the things that she's said and done. Um, but on the same on the same breath, can you evolve as a person? Like, she was anti-vaxer before the anti-vaxers were anti-vaxers. She hasn't evolved past that. True, she really hasn't. <laughs> she you really know, hasn't. I mean, People, is... you should really Google Marion Williamson and see just how problematic she has been. Uh, uh, but her ideas on a national stage just yes. longer make sense. When she was like in that weird aisle in Barnes and Nobles, all her yes. books were there. It's fine. But when you when you have someone who wants to lead the country saying things like sickness is an illusion, you can will yourself to feel better or that illness comes from the fact that you have a sick mind and not a sick body. Like that's problematic if you are the person in charge of health care. In in, the, in a debate like that, she should be laughed off the stage. She shouldn't be taken seriously. Those ideas are really dangerous. And it's just, I'm annoyed that it's on a national stage and that we have to contend with it. And there's no way to assign accountability to her or to enact consequences. I will say two things, though. She was laughed at a lot. I mean, maybe not on the stage, but she was laughed at a lot. And, you know, where accountability is supposed to come, of course, is at the ballot box. I think that will come for her. I don't think she has a chance in hell. Well, she's got it's like, certain, she's hovering near around high zero. 1% of yeah. the polls. But, yeah. <laughs> but, but even as I say that, it hasn't come for the president. So it's not but like we're good at it. breaks all the rules. We can't talk about but, him. But the thing about her is it's less, it's less about that for me. It's that, I mean, and maybe this is what happens when you don't have gatekeeping anymore. And I, I mean, it's not to say that I wish gatekeepers back. I don't want that. But I do think that that 1% is even dangerous, right? Because there was a legi- there's a legitimatizing function of running for president. That's what that is, right? It's like, if anyone can do it, which theoretically is the maximization of democracy, right? Anyone can be president. Then, then what does that do for us when you have a sort of 24-hour news cycle that just needs content, She's content and nobody's going to sort of challenge her point of view. So, yeah. So whereas, like Chris says, you had the option of like going down this aisle, you don't have that anymore. She's on your TV and she's in some sense elevated and raised as someone that has a legitimate point of view. And I think there's an element to her idea that I think is really attractive because it's the illusion of personal responsibility for everything that's wrong with your life even down to your illness. I mean, I think that's why she continues to be compelling for people because I think ultimately people do believe that there should be blame for things that happen, especially if no one is taking responsibility. Well, and, And the other side of that coin, and I am not proving of this, but the other side of that coin is that it is theoretically an, a message of empowerment i don't agree with it but like if you believe that everything is in your power if you just think the right way certain people respond to that her philosophy is as marketable or as crackpot as anyone else's i mean in fact 
I have had a Marion Williamson quote hung up on my wall since college. Like I was the her say, whole Nelson Mandela quoted her in his most famous hello, speech. You know, our our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate; it's that we're more powerful beyond measure. Like I can quote that entire thing to you because I read it every morning to myself, um, and that's how it works. It works as a personal motivation to me to move about my life. Like when you put it on a stage and you're weighing it against other people's ideas, it bec- you realize how unwieldy this yes. is and, and just how like how far this has spun out of control. Because like I said, it's out of that weird aisle on Bar- in Barnes and Nobles and it's on your TV screens. Like there's, but you know, there is no control for that. And I'm not sure that I want to control because I enjoy free speech. I just, uh, maybe it's our desire to hold these people up and our desire to... Um, enshrine them in some way in culture you know it's it's cool now to know who marion williamson is and to retweet her shit like it's cool because she's such a crackpot but like there's like you said there's a legitimizing effect to sharing this information and although there's we don't have anti-memetic technology there's no way to control bad information from reaching people yeah but I'm going to play devil's advocate for a second, just in the sense that... Just for a second? Yes. Just in the sense that I suspect in two years, we will barely remember she ran. And I say that because look at all of the people that Trump shared a stage with. They were not legitimized. They were delegitimized. Yeah. Carly Purina. Remember her? I don't. Carly Purina, Jeb Bush, Chris Christie. Like, now, you know, again, I really despise the president, but like... After that primary, like no one gives a shit about anything anyone else. Scott Walker, I, I, I'm like I'm having trouble remembering who ran. Like we don't remember a thing they said on those stages. All remember, all we remember is him. I don't think that her running this campaign is gonna. I mean, she's done damage. She's doing damage. But like her being on the campaign trail, being like a really lasting negative impact, I doubt it. I never argued that she'd have a lasting negative impact. It's just the current negative impact. It's, and it's not just about her. It's whoever, whichever fool comes along after this. It's like we yeah. have to endure this long line of fools, and each of them are taking time, uh, and each of them are taking turns doing injury. Yeah, but, you know. That's so fair. you're That's right. Fair. Two years from now, we'll forget all about her, and it will be, you know, whatever. The Pauly Shore from MTV in the 80s is going to run. and You know what I mean? Like, whoever it is, it's going to be more injury. Can you see it? Oh, my goodness. I mean, I don't... Is he, is he dead? No. It, I don't no. know. Though. Are you yeah. sure? I, I think he helps run the comedy club his parents own or something. Oh, that's right. He was like... He was he a was... sort of interesting comedian for a particular era and a time. A, a moment in time. You now that you say it, though, I feel like his candidacy would be kind of like Ben Carson. Very, like, relaxed, <gasps> chill. First of all, I Googled Pauly Shore. The first thing that came up, the last thing that he tweeted was, what do you guys think? Should we run against Trump and Pence? And he has a campaign shirt. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Oh, I- boy. And there it is. <laughs> there <laughs> There it well, is. The thing it is. is... <laughs> no, rock the wind. No, but you know what I want? Listen, all I want is similar to what I want with the Koch brother thing, which is to hold up their legacy fully. It's like there are people who don't know what we just talked about with Marion Williamson. Yeah. And I want that to be present 
at the same time as she's telling people that racism is an insidious thing in this country and we need to deal with it, which is getting her a lot of like finger snaps and all that stuff, you know? And I agree. And we agree. The breath of who she is and you're like, oh, so I want, I want a rounded picture of her. Yeah, agreed. That's totally that's, agree. that's just what I want. Like, totally I, I, I feel like if we could figure out a way to do that better, I'd be more comfortable. I think we're you know doing what? that now. I think journalists are starting to dig out and interview and and pull people out who spoke out against her twenty years, thirty years ago. You know, I think that is that's just a journalistic effort. But I think that's really the. I mean, that's the crux of this challenge. Mm. Is like is that institution has a lot on its shoulder and I don't, sometimes it's not up for it. Journalists have to be up for this. and <laughs> They're mm-hmm. not. I mean, they dropped the ball the last time. And the question is, will they drop the ball this time around again? I, I think most of them drop the ball every day and I don't like to bash <laughs> the media. I think there are good folks. You know, I love NPR, but my goodness, there's so much journalism that I oh, just, well, I'm looking forward to the new breed of journalists because this moment in time is going to call. It's calling for something different from journalism and the people who are learning and coming up now are going to be affected, impacted by that and trying to adjust. And so I'm curious what the adjustment is going to be. They'd I mean, have to be anti-establishment. They yeah, it, have to who be. knows? We'll see how that goes. I'm, I'm curious. I have a couple ideas in my head which way it can go. And I want to see what actually shakes out. Okay, let's move on to recommendations, which is something that you've seen, heard, read, or experienced that you think other people should see, hear, read, or experience. Jason. So I heard the episode recently of On the Media, which is an NPR show, and there's this, they're doing this series on Empire, American Empire in particular, Empire State of Mind, that's mm-hmm. I think what they're calling it, and so we will make the link available, but this was, what I heard was an interview with the author of a book about what he calls the greater United States. Here's what I'll say. I'll say one thing about it, which blew my mind. And I feel so ignorant that it blew my mind. Like, I think the three of us all know, and lots of people know that like Puerto Rico and American Samoa and Guam are technically territories of the United States. Our maps almost never show them. Like we hide the fact that we have territories that, that have taxation without representation and that like are part of our country, but that are colonies, like essentially fantastic interview and uh, makes me want to read the book and listen to the other episodes. Cool. Trisha. Mm, this is real tricky for me. You've had all summer to prepare. <laughs> tricky, tricky. <laughs> We've been off for two months. <laughs> Maybe I haven't imbibed anything. Maybe I haven't taken anything in. <laughs> Now you're just revealing a lot about who you are. Two months off. You know what's so honest? You know what? That is so brutally honest that you've said that about me. It's true because like I've been trying to think about how to consume more and I just don't. Like I used to watch more movies. I I just don't. And that drives me nuts. I don't know what, what I'm doing with my time. But let me say the last thing I read that I thought was really powerful was... The New York Times Magazine did a whole spread called um, 1619, which was we recently had the anniversary, I believe, this past Sunday 
400 years since the introduction of 20 Africans as slaves on American soil. They did a really fascinating spread, which included poetry, some historical essays on the legacy of slavery in America. I highly recommended it. I downloaded them as a PDF and read them on a flight. And I really, I've learned a ton. I mean, one of, I think the most interesting things that I read was about how Atlanta ends up having such a bad traffic problem. And it has all to do with the desire to separate black and white people historically. It's a really fascinating, fascinating piece. So what usually happens in the pieces are they start with a current present problem and then they trace it, trace its roots back to some some historical moment that has to do with slavery or the desire to separate black and white people. I found it revelatory, but it's also been controversial. Um, so <laughs> it's time for you to read something that's very controversial. Uh, <laughs> I am going to recommend the television series called Years and Years, which um, I heard about when I was um, over in the UK and then HBO rebroadcast it here. Years and Years follows an English family. Then the story starts in 2019 at the birth of um, like the newest member of the family. And then it advances very slowly in time. The series takes you over like the next 20 years. So at the the time in 2019, there is a television personality who's just launching her political career. Other than that, everything else that happens in the world, in their world, is like our world. So Trump is president, et cetera, et cetera. And it just takes you year by year um, where, given these events, where the future might end up. And it is one of the more terrifying things that I've seen because the near future looks exactly like you think it will. I don't want to give anything away. And some of the things that happen in the show is shocking because you're like, I honestly don't know why that hasn't happened yet. There's a whole thing about the bank failures in Britain, which is, I mean, honestly, this bank's failing should have happened last Thursday. And, and when they do fail, the consequences of that are going to be traumatic. And also the consequences of climate change are going to be traumatic. And it's coming much faster than you think. It's six episodes long. It's on HBO. Please check it out. It is really alternately moving and heartbreaking and anxiety provoking, perhaps a little hopeful, but not much. <laughs> God, I feel like all of our recommendations were really oh just not. Pleasant. I mean, this is who we are now. This is who we are at the end of the summer of 2019. You know, I have to say, I, I look at this trifecta. We recommended something you should listen to read and see good job everyone great job we totally planned that planned that listeners no we didn't we did not hey listeners good news we are going weekly that's right uh next week we are going to bring with to you an interview that we've done with one of our very best friends on a topic that we find interesting and we thought you would as well. And then in two weeks, we will have another regular episode with these three superstars chatting about the news of the day. So we hope that you like it. It's been a lot of fun doing it. Um, Our friends are amazing. (laughs) Can't wait for you all to meet them. So on that note, you two, I don't know what else there's to say, but. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. 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 (laughs) 